Hello and welcome to the Goalink Show. My name is Ben. I am the founder of Goalink, a goal-setting community providing grill junkies, which is hopefully you, with weekly challenges to avoid complacency. If you're looking to grow and develop consistently, you're in the right place. These challenges are inspired by brands to bring you new ways to improve yourself. You can kick back and watch me take on these exciting and uncomfortable challenges, or you can join me. I challenge every listener to complete these weekly goals. Catch the content on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Golink Group. The Golink Show, this podcast, recounts experiences from the achievers of the world, but not just the success. We delve into the challenges and the struggle that we all face. How do we find the will to push through? What role do motivation, discipline, and even failure play in our lives? Let's talk about the process and the hurt and not just the result. We discuss this and much more on the show. Thanks for tuning in. We have a dope guest on this week. Her name is Adrienne. She is a human optimization coach. And that, you might be asking, what is that? Well, it deals with biohacking, nutrition, exercise, supplementation, meditation, human behavior, and cognitive psychology. It's really focusing on all aspects of the human and optimizing it. And I love that because I don't think it's just one area that you need to improve on. It's many things, and that's what she focuses on in her day-to-day job. And the painful experiences that we talk about that inspired her path to get her to her current situation and career, her story really is proof that in the moment, when we zoom in on the individual segments and the time, it's, it's painful in that moment. But when we zoom out and we look at the big picture, those moments are just pages to her chapters and chapters for our entire life story. Each moment is just a puzzle piece coming together that it doesn't make sense when you look at it by itself. Like, what is this jagged piece? I don't see any, it doesn't make sense. But it's beautiful when it's put together. She talks about how to get aligned with your wants, needs, values, which leads to fulfillment. She even gives us a practical exercise to get aligned. We talk about why food is the most accessible drug, which is mind-blowing to me. We talk about what unshakable peace means and why today is a good day to die. And you may have heard about cold showers lately. It's kind of popular. But we talk about cold showers and cold plunges or cold exposure in general and why it's beneficial for stress, not just because it's cool, but why it's good for your stress. And this is a bit of a lengthy interview, but it, it, there is so much content. So pause it, come back if you need to, stay strong. It's dope. Let's get into it. All right, everyone. Hello, welcome to The Goaling Show. My name is Ben, and we have Adrian. How are you? This wonderful, which the day we're recording is Saturday morning. Yeah, today's awesome. It's beautiful. Just it is beautiful. Bed, had a nice breakfast. Now I'm talking to you. <laughs> Boom. And you are a human optimization coach. How many are there? Because I've never really, I've never seen that title before you. Is that self-titled? Did you think of that or did you see it anywhere? So really overall, I'm just an optimization coach as far as nutrition, exercise, supplementation, meditation, biohacking. Um, I do a little bit with like human behavior and cognitive psychology, although I don't have a background in it. I really focus heavily on people. So those Mm -hmm. topics are really necessary to understand people. As far as optimization coach goes, I have been trying for years, years and years and years to find a title that really embodied everything that I do, everything that I want to do. And I've really just been kind of patient with it. I've, you know, I've done nutrition coaching and, you know, Mm -hmm. use my certifications as titles and 
they never really defined me. And also, I'm not a title person, so I really couldn't care less what people want to call me. Um, mm. At the end of the day, I just prefer to be called like a friend or somebody yeah. that people care about. So yeah, titles are, are, are really irrelevant in, in my realm. Um, but I really resonate with, you know, the human optimization stuff, mostly because of Onnit, which is a supplement company out of Austin, Texas, um, inside of a fellowship mastermind group with Aubrey Marcus, Kyle Kingsbury, all those guys that do that. And finding a home with them is really the first time that I felt like I really was around people that were educated in all the different spaces that I am also educated in, but also I can learn so much from them. And so being around them, you know, human optimization, that's kind of what they do. Um, and to be honest, I'm, that's exactly what I do too. So it doesn't really matter what you call me, but. <laughs> well, that's cool. Cause just like for me, so yeah, you know, like in the future or I've tried to think of like different titles and like, okay, like what's my passion? Or when people ask me like, what do you want to do? And I could never put a title to it just because like, so I still don't know my title and I, yeah, I don't really like you, I'm not huge on titles in general, but I'm like, I know for sure that I don't like the word or the title life coach for some reason, just because I think <laughs> it's associated with like, oh man, like that's cheesy or whatever. Like, yeah, or like selling motivation, which everyone at this point knows is, is not something that's actually value. Um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, I, I, I totally understand. Yeah. If you really wanted to put us all in a box, we're, we're all life coaches. We're here to just serve other people, optimize every aspect of their life, help them see different perceptions and, and build on things that, you know, otherwise they would have judgments or different emotions bogging them down so that they're not able to see the picture as clearly as we are. And how do you put a title on that? And some people will try, right? They will lose yeah. their trying to find out what title can I be? And like I said, for me, it doesn't matter because uh, my the, the way I build relationships with people speaks for itself. So I get called every day. People are like, oh, you're the nutritionist. Like, oh, you're the personal trainer. And I'm not like, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm like, yeah, that's me. You know, what can I do for you? Because people need that. That verbiage is important for them. If they're calling me a nutritionist, it's because they, that's what they're seeking, right? They believe that that word and that title will somehow change their life. And that's the title that they need. So, yes, that's dope. So, how did you get into this initially? Because you, because for how successful you are, you're relatively young. So, how did you get into this space at the very beginning? Well, I will just say this: of all things in life, food is probably was my number one passion for a long time, and I really got into it by. Uh, some people call it luck, manifesting. Uh, really, what I was doing was running from a lot of things in my, in my past. <laughs> and I grew up in West Texas in a really small town, ran from there to a slightly larger town called Lubbock, Texas. And as soon as I graduated high school, uh, I went to Dallas, Texas, because it felt like it was a whole nother world away from my family, but also close enough that if I got sick, my mom could drive up. Yeah. And, yeah, I stayed in Dallas for about five years and ended up working for a restaurant company called Hillstone Restaurant Group, which is a really prestigious restaurant company for sure. I worked there for over four years and it is still to this day my favorite place to eat because I know the quality of service and the, the, the standard that they have for food there is impeccable. And so I worked for them and I got to really learn about food in a way that 
I hadn't before, you know, I grew up with a Southern mother. So food was always, you know, chicken fried steak, delicious mm -hmm. and gravy. You save your bacon grease, you cook with it. Um, and then going into and working for R and D kitchen, this Hillstone concept, I really got to learn about like food as an art actually. And this gets into a lot of things about why people are usually so obsessed with food. It's kind of like the low hanging fruit as far as a drug goes that we all have access to. So that's like a whole other topic. Yeah, I think. we'll go into that because I love, I yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I did that for a long, long time and I was always like, I, I mean, everyone that's always known me has known that I'm extremely ambitious. Maybe that would not be the word that they would want to use, but let's just say that's the word that I attach to. Uh -huh. I always wanted to be like a business lady. I always wanted to run the show. I was always bossy. And so whenever I was working my way up in this restaurant, I really wanted a management position and I didn't have a degree. And strangely, a lot of the managers that Hillstone carried, a lot of them were like graduates from Ivy League schools. Like we had, we had one girl that was, she had graduated with a history major from Dartmouth. Huh. <laughs> and she was a restaurant manager, but they were not, they were not in a position to give me a job in, in a higher place other than like bartending or you know, serving or, and I was running a lot of the financials. I was doing like head weight stuff. So closing down at the end of the night, running all the financials for that. But I really wanted another job. So I sought out other restaurants. I ended up working for this other restaurant that I will not say the name of because it was a hot mess. Mm -hmm. um, really, really nice in the center, the center of like Park City's Dallas, which is kind of, you know, the, the wealthiest area in Highland Park. And it was owned by a really well-known man, so it was a really great concept, but the place itself was run really poorly, and the guy that was like my general manager was the perviest of all pervs um, ever. And so working for him, I really got to, got to understand that realm, and so I quickly actually gave up my manager. I was assistant general manager at 21 years old, which was pretty cool. And I gave up that job after just a few months and went back to Hillstone, just back to bartending and doing things like that. And then... I wanted to open my own restaurant because I had seen both sides of it and I felt like I knew everything. I felt like, oh, like I have all the tools to run all this wonderful service and, and get this great food and all these connections. But obviously banks would laugh at my face, you know, when I was 21, 22 years old. So you were actually going to banks to try and get loans and stuff? <laughs> yeah. I was doing, I was doing the most. I was like reaching out to my friends like, hey, I'm looking for investors. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, around the same time, too, I was actually a part of a network marketing company. Um, I was just, for me, again, ambition. I was, you know, people sold me on this idea that that I could really become something. And that's what I knew I was supposed to be. And um, so I actually did really well in the network marketing. I was selling travel. And I ended up getting, like, a BMW in my first 90 days. Which wow. Was really cool, Wait, but, awarded to you or you bought it yourself? Well, that's... That's the the hanger right there is you get it because you qualify for it. So you qualify to get a, a car payment every month that had to go towards a silver BMW. Mm. And <clears throat> so therefore, you put the car in your name. You get the car payment every month that they pay for. But if anything happens, that car is in your name. So it's Ooh. not gifted to you. But I qualified for it. I got the payment for several months. And then um, it kind of fizzled out because, again, it wasn't really aligned with my purpose. And, and a lot of the people that were above me weren't, you know, mentorship-wise wasn't really what I needed to, to be working with. And so I kept just kind of finding, like, what I wanted. But I really, I really resonated with, like, food a lot. And so I kind of want to start moving towards, like, this, this – option for opening a restaurant, maybe a cafe, something really casual where people could come hang out. At the end of the day, I needed human connection. And that's, and I was using food as a catalyst for that. 
And then kind of it just all happened at once. My dad got really sick. He was sick over years and, and doctors had said that he had renal failure and we had we had fought and had multiple surgeries and different diagnoses and, and we ended up actually getting him a kidney, which was was really cool. So I was actually in my network marketing group. We were on a trip in Mexico the day he got his kidney and I was like on FaceTime with my family celebrating, you know, because his whole life was going to be different. It was really exciting. And then we got home and everything just took a turn for the worst all at the same time. It was like the mentors in my network marketing company that were being really just really devious about the things that they were doing about the way that they were actually making money you know wearing rolexes when they really weren't making that money wasn't coming from the company mm -hmm. and doing different things and then so i was like kind of pulling away from that and then my dad's kidney wasn't working and i was really stagnant in restaurant because i come from management and i come back down and i was like what am i supposed to do with life here i i just want to connect with people and i want to be around food and Shortly after that, we found out my dad actually had cancer and that he was misdiagnosed mm. and his life just really that next year deteriorated so quickly that, that it was, it was like a blink that we all saw his whole life just disappear from him. And, you know, my dad was a pilot. He was a really powerful, adventurous man that everyone loved. Like at his funeral, everyone came up to me and they were like, your dad was my best friend. And I was like, you're the 50th person. Yeah. Told me that. That's so cool though. I've met you. So all of that kind of came to a head where I had a decision to make. It was, you know, I found out my dad was going to die and we didn't know how long, but we knew it was going to be maybe days based on the way that, that he was kind of living. And so I quit the restaurant. I just completely let go of the network marketing thing. And I moved back to Lubbock, Texas. And within 10 days he was gone. And so from there, it was like, what am I going to do? I have all these bills in Dallas, which is, you know, really expensive. Eh, well, not really expensive city to live in compared to like Los Angeles or New York, but for a 22 year old kid, it was pretty expensive. From a small town, it's expensive, yeah. Yeah, and and a lot of my friends didn't know like any of this stuff was going on because I was really prideful and I just didn't want anybody to know the pain that I was going through, you know? So there's this huge transition, so much energy moving in a really negative way and me just trying to, to fight to kind of stay above ground. And the underlying current of always knowing that I want to be, I want to work with people and I want to work with food. And so, yeah, it came to a head where I decided, I don't know what I'm going to do. I tried to get kind of a restaurant job, but in West Texas, there wasn't anything that was going to pay me, you know, what I needed to be paid in order to survive. And so one of my best friends, his name is Ben also, he's, He's like so much fun. So anytime I meet someone named Ben, I just assume you're fun. <laughs> like anytime there's a person named Ben, you, they're a good person. Um, but he owned a gym and he still owns a gym called Pro Fitness in Lubbock. And uh, I just got, I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I used to be an athlete. Like I know some stuff about stuff and I'm really good with people. I can probably get people there. He's like, yeah, like teach classes. So I started a boot camp which was really cool. And it was really just like to supplement myself. Um, but at some point I had like 40 people enrolled and they were coming in the morning. I had, I had every morning. Yeah. No, not every morning, but like I, I would have three classes to spread out through the week and they would That's come cool. during those classes. And it wasn't 40 at a time. It was like, I had small groups that I was, that I was doing. And, um, it was really fun. I had this group of night shift nurses that would, that would come down. Um, so they'd get off work at like 7am and their class was at eight. And so they would just roll in from the hospital and whatever, like we would just start our class. Sometimes they'd be like eating, I don't know if you know what Whataburger is, it's a, it's a hot fast food, like, you know, Costa Vida or whatever we have out here in Utah. Uh -huh. But they would come like their fast food just, and for them it was all about community. 
like I really, I really understood that it wasn't, yeah, they wanted to get in better shape, but they wanted to feel like they were a part of something, you know, and they wanted to do it together and they wanted to feel the support. And so that was really fun. So I was, you know, really picking up and seeds were being planted early on. And now looking back, so much of it was really relevant. But at the time I was just kind of teaching classes and, and then I had this one specific client that looked at me one day and after I'd been like, are you going to ever eat clean? And he was like, look, I'm not going to eat clean unless you physically come to my house and make my meals for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so ridiculous. It's so absurd. Like, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, well, I'll pay you money if you want to make my food for me. So I ended up kind of accidentally starting a meal prep company uh, just based on that one idea. And what happened was, you know, he told a couple people, there was a girl that, that worked at our gym that was Ben's sister. She told people at church and they owned a church next door. And so then like within one day I had like 12 new clients and the next wow. day eight clients. And, and it kind of grew a little bit faster than anything I'd ever. So that was my first real taste of like entrepreneurship, which was really fun because again, I was like, I have a meal prep business. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so that's, kind of how it all got started. And then uh, I met this guy named Joel that was actually his, his family is really good friends with my dad. And, and he's still a dear friend of mine. He's a really wonderful person. And and he saw a lot of things inside of me and, and we're still very aligned. We just don't do business together currently, but he wanted to give me a little, his dad was, was passing and he had a little bit of money and he wanted to help me get my dream started. So he invested a little bit in what I was doing, which was to kind of build this concept called prepped foods, which was fresh, you know, food, organic that people could get that was high quality. And we'd have like a juice bar and teach classes. And I sound, you know, sound like a a millennial entrepreneur, all the things (laughs) I wanted to do. And at the same time, you know, I was still really suffering pretty heavily from depression with, from my dad dying and and not really having any way to cope or really anybody to talk to, you know, people would say, do you want to go see therapists? And, you know, it's hard because at this point I, a lot of times I run circles around any therapist I've ever gone to see. And it makes it very difficult for me to get the work done that I need because I don't, they don't, they can't hold that space for me. I have such a big energy. It takes a really specific person to be able to understand that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, so all of that being said, uh, I continued to teach classes. I ended up moving back to Dallas kind of with all my stuff and I was going to open this shop there whereas I had meal prep, you know, prepped foods, everything good. I kind of got into business with someone that was a little slimy um, and ended up, you know, not really working out. And at that point, everything kind of fell apart. It was like, I didn't have any money left. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really, really painful. Lots of lessons at that time. I was barely 24, I think, maybe just 24. And I was also in a pretty toxic relationship that was not serving me um, or the person that I was with. Truthfully, you know, we were, we were polar opposites that found each other in a really rough time of both of our lives. And we found a way to be catalysts for each other's BS and (laughs) learned a lot from that. So that was really cool. And then one day I woke up and I was like so miserable and I was overweight and I was literally lying, not, not just to everyone around me, but to myself. Like I had this, all these masks I had created of like, I'm a businesswoman. I'm successful. I'm competent. I'm all these things. But really underneath, like, I could barely get out of bed. I could not face my family. I could not face my friends. I couldn't face the person I was in a relationship with. I couldn't speak my truth in any format. And so I ended up 
doing something that was so random. And anyone that knows me knows this is random. I went and got certified for yoga. Like I've mm-hmm. never been a stretcher. I could never touch my toes. And <laughs> one day I just decided to spend $5,000 on a yoga certification. Wow. Five, five G's just like that. Yeah, and, and really it was like I was just searching for like purpose like so much and it was like food had failed me and fitness had failed me and boys had failed me and you know the medical system had failed me and at that point it was like I met somebody who was really beautiful her name was is Wendy Boyce and she runs Sunstone Yoga in Dallas and her energy was really captivating to me she was older I, she was really tall like me and I felt like I could see pieces of myself in her and it inspired me to get into yoga, which was has been something that has served me very well in my life. So I got certified. I did a two-week intensive where I was there for like 12 hours a day. Um, so from no yoga, literally, to 12 hours a day of yoga. And and then during that time period, I met a guy that lived out in Utah because I wanted to get out a little bit burned by fitness itself. And I was like, I just want to deal with food. I don't want to deal with all the lies. And and I, I really, what I kind of left out there was I went through a phase of bodybuilding stuff where I met a trainer that was going to train me for a bodybuilding competition. Anyone in the fitness industry that, that hasn't been through this, I would be shocked, but I wanted to be up on stage. I wanted whatever people are searching for when they're doing that, right? This is the level of validation and acceptance. Mm-hmm. And, and also, you know, they want to reach this incredible goal physically. But at the end of the day, these athletes are not super functional athletes. And that's kind of what I found out through the whole process was like, are we athletes or are we like in a really, really crazy beauty competition? Like, I don't know. And that's just my, you know, that's just my perception of it. I didn't stay in it long enough, but definitely stayed in it long enough to be tempted to do steroids, which, you know, as soon as I get to that point, it's like, okay, like things have got to change. This is not the road that I want to go down manipulating my body in that format or, or really health. Again, it came back down to, I don't want to suffer a miserable death like my dad did. And are these things aligned? It's like when you're young, you don't ask yourself that in this very decision that I'm about to make, is it aligned with my purpose, with my peace, right? Peace and purpose, same thing. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it all came to be to the head of me moving out to Utah. I met a guy out here that that was like, before you, you know, get out of the fitness industry, you should come out here and, and check out what I'm doing. And and that was Master Metabolic. It was, he had built something really beautiful with a business partner for uh, almost two decades before I moved out here. And that was kind of fizzling out. His, his business partner had a pretty bad substance abuse problem that was really taking a toll on the company. And he actually passed away last year from an overdose. Wow. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, three years after the fact. So that, that was, that was a lot of pain that came from that. And and goes back to the peace thing, right? Like Tommy couldn't find any peace in that place at all. And so he, he decided to leave everything, all the money that he had put into it, all the, you know, most of the clients. And when I met him, the company was like just a few months old. And we were in this, like in this, this old school gym, that's kind of like an eighties gym, um, in Lehigh. And, there's like little signs all over the, it's like all red, like really aggressive. And we were in this tiny office upstairs. It didn't even have a light in it. So we, so when I showed up, there was a stained glass lamp and I was like, oh no, 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 no. This is not how we're going to do business. Yeah, that, that's I'm funny. to sell like two, $3,000 programs to these business professionals in this space. Well, what was crazy was he was already doing it. 
people did not care what, what the room looked like because of the quality of transformations that he was getting. And I was really inspired by that. I met a guy that had 200 pounds of change, no excess skin. Like he he was 400 pounds his whole life. And then we went and shot a video for marketing content and he has these ripped arms. Like he looks incredible. He looks like an athlete and his whole life has changed and and his whole family's life will be changed. Right. Cause that would have been passed down one way or another. Mm-hmm. And I was so, so, so inspired by that. And so I did, um, you know, I just started coaching and running clients and <clears throat> I didn't get to do as much stuff with food as maybe I wanted to, but I also recognized that what I was really trying to do was, was really a lot less to do with food and more to do with humans. And it just started bleeding more into my purpose. And so, you know, I feel very fortunate to have found something that really, really speaks to me in so many ways. And, you know, fast forward a couple years, we've tripled our numbers three years in a row. We have a bigger team now than ever, which is cool. We're in the middle of building an app with a software company out of Austin and hope, hoping that it'll be, you know, someday a household household name like when Under Armour bought uh, MyFitnessPal, but maybe even something better than that, we'll see. And we're working on building out a facility here so that we can do personal training and, um, you know, small group classes and just have a culture that we haven't really been able to build up to this point. Up to this point, it's just been a bunch of really phenomenal coaches. And now we want to put, we want to put like a home base together. That's to dope. Up. So is it, yeah, that's, that's incredible. So is it still the same company? And you yeah. said the owner passed away. So, but is it still the same company? Yeah. Sorry for that confusion. I just like skip right into it. Right, so you're good. And Rick had a company called THF, um, that, that they had run. And then when Tommy left THF, he started Master Metabolic. So Master Metabolic, first of all, is Tommy's company. Um, you know, I built everything with him from really almost the beginning. We're, we're partners, but at the end of the day, he, he's the one that started it. He's the creative mind. He's the one that hired all the software guys to build. He's, he's very much the back end guy. And I'm That's very dope. Excited. And you guys have tripled every year. Yeah, it's, it's really, really exciting. And we've taken a lot of losses, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. We're coming out of another one right now. But what we're realizing is that, that the peace, like you said, it's like we have so much peace now more than ever that no matter what happens, because things happen in business all the time. And and we're not in a place where we want to pretend like that stuff doesn't happen anymore. I feel like that's people, they're so on guard all the time because they're worried about being judged. Like yeah. people see me in this vulnerable place. I've been so vulnerable with my clients for the last year and it has, it has literally doubled my business. Like people just, they trust me because they know if something's going down in my life, they're going to know about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share it with them and not in a poor me way, but like, this is what I'm going through and this is how I'm planning on getting out of it, you know, and, and they can, they relate to that so much. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's rewind a little bit back to when you couldn't get out of bed and you couldn't face your family or anyone. So I wanted to hear your advice or your tips for two people. So two types of people. So first let's go to the young people. So hopefully they could be in that right now, but let's say hopefully they can avoid that space. Mm -hmm. And then for someone who's more experienced in life, how do you get out of that? So first let's address how do you avoid that space? If you even can, because life happens, but what can we do to avoid it? Well, it really goes back to alignment. Alignment and peace, you know, they're one and the same. I'm more aligned in my life now than ever, and I have more peace. So I would say they're directly related. Back then, there was no peace because there was no alignment. I had absolutely no idea who I was supposed to be. I had a very 
blurry understanding of who I wanted to be, but really that was based on everything else that other people wanted. So the judgments that I had on myself that I was using other people as a catalyst to judge myself with, right? So my, my friend group who they're beautiful, but they all have something really, really special to offer. But collectively for me, it was a very toxic space because everything being fed from one another was all about validation. It was all about like, you know, when, when your friend says to you, um, you, you, you know, like I'm going through this hard time and your friend's like, Oh, it's okay. Like you, you're fine. You're such a great person. Like screw those people. That conversation, although it seems really innocent and like you're being a good friend, it's actually really toxic because what you're doing is you're allowing somebody that's in a low space already to stay low and to find justifications for their actions. And there is no growth in that. And if there is no growth in that, there is no abundance. And so if you're the friend who, who really eliminates abundance from your friend's life because you want to, you don't like confrontation or you don't want to have the hard conversation, you're not a friend point blank. And I was both, you know, for me and my friendships, like, you know, I have one, one friend, my, one of my best friends, it's, I still would consider my best friend because her and I have been through a lot together and, you know, we, we witnessed a lot of things together, but in our relationship, there was so much, so many things that were happening. We never really had like the deep, hard conversations because we didn't trust each other, you know, and in our friend group was, was constantly attacking from different areas, but, but also like, loving from different areas, but it, it was confusing because it was a lot of validation, right? So we'd all tell each, all the girls like how beautiful we were. We'd comment on each other's pictures like, oh my God, like how can you even be so beautiful with all the fire emojis? <laughs> you see it all the time, right? Yeah, like, you still see it. Literally social media. And, but at the same time, if somebody was going through something hard, we didn't want any part of that because we don't, we only want to be when people are like living their best life. And so that becomes, there's a lot of pressure with that. For me, I was not living my best life. My dad was dying. Like, I was broke as shit. I was, sorry, I don't know. Am I allowed to cuss on you? Yeah, do okay. you. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> You're good. Um, I was broke. My dad was dying. Uh, I did not feel a connection with anyone. I was coming out of a really toxic relationship. And I had a lot of shame because I knew from the beginning I shouldn't have been in that relationship. And then I was, you know, having a hard time understanding what was going on with me physically. Like I felt healthy. I had a lot of information, but I was, I was overweight. I was drinking a lot. I was using a lot of drugs and it just got to a point where I, my focus was so much on making people believe that I was in the highest place possible, which ultimately is, it's so strange. Now that I think back on it, like what I needed, what I wanted people to believe was that I was aligned and that I had peace, but I did not. And so instead I spent all of my energy trying to create this idea of peace around me instead of actually fighting for it so that I could be like, here, look at my peace. Look at my alignment. It's so great. Um, and it was exhausting. You know, ultimately I sold everything I owned and picked up and moved to Utah and was like, I don't know anybody out here, but it'll be so much better than living this. You know, at the end of the day, it was a lie. That's yeah. And yeah, that's just crazy. Like to be in that space and it's great. Say what? You said your question was, how do you avoid that? Oh, yeah, so how do you avoid it? So, well, well, not, no, let's not even avoid it because I don't think you can. Eventually, something like that is going to happen. So what do we do next once we're in it? <clears throat> once, you, once you're in it, that's the hard part is there are definitely levels and layers of progression for life. 
And people want to go from, you know, in it to completely out of it. And the truth is, is that you can do that. But if you do it, like, like I, I'm, ta- I'm building, I'm actually writing a book right now that talks about like the constructs that you build your entire life on. And you really have two options. You can either start to clean out your house, your construct and replace it. And, you know, make sure that things are, this doesn't serve me. I'll replace it with this. Or you can light it all on fire. Yeah. I have done both now, but before this, I was very much a light it all on fire person. So if somebody's in it, you could just burn it all down, get rid of all of your friends, everything in you, detach yourself from it so completely so that you can understand what, what of it is in your alignment. However, what I would say is people will get burned and, and some people, you know, collateral damage, you know, my, my family was collateral damage and some of my friends were collateral damage and they, a lot, some people felt abandoned by me and at the end of the day, I was just trying to save myself. So what I would say is the smarter decision would be to understand that there are steps just like when it comes to leaving a job, right? You don't just quit all of a sudden and leave. You, you need to have a plan and you need to have awareness. And so awareness is always the first step of who in the, in this circle of mine is aligned with me. And if the question is like, what does alignment even mean? It's really easy to, to do. Like I just take a piece of paper. I drew myself in the middle circle. All I would write down all the things that brought me immense joy in life, fulfillment, you know, excitement, stimulation. And then any of those things that I was currently doing, I would draw an arrow to myself and I would know this is bringing me energy, which can be reciprocated. I can spend it out to other people. I can do more things with it. Any of these things that I'm not currently doing is taking energy away from me. And I would see how many things in my life were taking energy from me versus giving me energy. And I've, I draw this out with my clients all the time. It's I like love such, that exercise. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a piece of paper of it because it's like such a simple stick figure that helps people really understand why they're either, you know, they have nothing, no, no steam in the engine. It's the difference between somebody who's really busy, but they can just go and go and go because they have so much energy coming back to them. It's just constantly being recycled mm. versus people that go and go and they have nothing left at the end of the day it has everything to do with that um and so trying to figure out like where is your energy going if your energy is going to creating an image that you actually can't physically create or or spiritually create then you already know that's not an alignment that's exhausting it's 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 like it's like building a business in your head that you can never build on paper you know it's there's nothing that doesn't make any sense it's daydreaming and so Getting in alignment with yourself first and foremost, which takes a lot of awareness and a lot of ownership. And if there's judgment, that's not the same thing as ownership. Like I know people who can be like, oh, I really need to do this better. Like really my financial situation isn't very good. Um, And the difference would be if you're judging yourself on that and you have like shame on that, you can't get to a place of change because you're so bogged down with like that level of energy, right? Whereas like for me, no matter what I do, no matter how bad it is, I just take ownership of it. Like, I'm just like, well, this is my reality. This is what it is. And like, how am I going to move forward? And so once you get to that place, then you can start deciding of the relationships in your life are aligned with your peace or aligned with your purpose or all of these things on this paper. And for me, there was really nobody, you know, my mother, my mom was aligned with me. My, my, my partner that I have now is very aligned in certain ways. Right. But there was nobody else. And in that moment, I felt so alone. It was like, mm. Oh my gosh. Cause I already lost one parent, you know, it's like the reality of like your parents just die really, really takes hold. 
And, and that was like consuming to me. And then, you know, I went through a phase where I thought my partner was going to die every time I didn't hear from him for an hour. Mm. I was certain. And, and that, so there's all this emotion and energy that's weaved into this process for you. And so the, the truth is, is that there is no like single steps that you could give someone because you're talking about logistics in, and when it comes to aligning yourself, there's very few things that are super logistical about it. And most of it is going to be emotional. That's interesting. Yeah, this is really fun to learn about. So when you mentioned you can either clean out your house or burn down the house. And like, I am aware of those two options, (laughs) but um, you said if you burn down the house, people are going to get burned. So, but you burned down your house, right? Yeah. that's That's the option you took. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that you don't really burn everything like you think you do. Uh, you so know, selective burning. <laughs> there's still rubble. <laughs> there's yeah. still rubble, and you're responsible for that rubble. And so, if you nef- if nothing ever comes of it, you just have all of this rubble all the time, which is probably the hardest thing to sift through because it's just fragments. And like I, that was my childhood. Like my childhood, as as great of a childhood as I had, and I didn't have any like capital T traumas that happened to me. I had a lot of lowercase t traumas, you know, like lots and lots and lots. Just like, yeah, I mean, trauma is relative, right? So in my rubble, there are fragments of my childhood that I've completely disassociated with. And in order for me to find peace, like I can't let go of those things. I actually have to go collect those things and try to figure out how they are in alignment with my current situation. And what do you, you can burn down your house, but just know that, you have to deal with the rebel at least. Yes. So you said um, something that ma- makes me want to ask you this question about judgment. So I've heard some people talk recently about not labeling things as good or bad or right or wrong. What are your thoughts on that conversation? Well, I feel like that's a very vague question because I could you know, (laughs) when it comes to like laws, you know, to keep people safe, you know, it's like, if you litter, it's bad. (laughs) That's Uh the first thing I think of. But when it, when it talks about how to deal with emotions, um, like saying that somebody being reactive is bad is like saying that when an explosive builds up and it explodes, it's bad. Like it's not, it's just science actually. Like Mm. it's not a, Nobody can have an opinion on it because it's not something they can have an opinion. It's literally a buildup. And when a buildup happens, an explosion happens. And so that's to me where judgment should be completely eliminated from. And like my partner's reading a book right now. And the only time I hear it is when I'm in the shower. I'll, I'll hear him listening to it. But it actually talks about the different phases that men or, you know, sapiens go through in their life. Um, and it's like, you know, you go through the white, which is like your calm, your child, your innocent, and you go through the red, which is where you really experience passion and anger and all the emotions full throttle. And you go into black, which is where you're, everything's objective. You're just like, wow, I have so many different perceptions and opinions. And, and even the experiences I haven't been through, I've experienced other people's experiences. And therefore I just see things for whatever they can be, you know, multiple different views. And so that's where we're talking about how people deal with emotions or when you're talking about like someone's personality. If you say, if you say to yourself, I cannot date a guy who who doesn't treat his mother good because that would be bad. And it's like, okay, but if his mother's a piece of shit 
and she doesn't know how to respect his boundaries and she comes at him aggressively and it triggers things from his childhood, he is allowed to draw a boundary that says, you are not welcome here. And anytime that you come across this line, I need to stand my ground with you. And sometimes if that's abrasive and you get to see him be reactive in that way of like, whoa, you have crossed the line. This is unacceptable. And you judge him based on him trying to protect himself. That that's, you know, that's where you're going to miss an opportunity to really connect with somebody. Dang, so, those are a really good example. I'm never going to be able to answer your questions, by the way, with like yes or no's, because I think I, I don't want yes or no's. I love it. Okay. Yeah. So I will say out of my judgment, that was a good answer. Um, so you mentioned before about food and it being the lowest hanging drug. Yeah. And this is so fascinating to me. I've never thought about thought about this before. Because for me, like, I don't drink, I don't do drugs. And, like, I don't think I have a food problem. But as soon as you th- said that, I started thinking about just, how, yeah, even going back to judgment or just how I use food as medicine or to, like, make me feel better emotionally, you know, and just, like, oh, man, this food is so good. And, but then I'm, like, oh, man, no, food is just fuel. So I just, like, go back and forth to these things. So can you explain what do you mean by food is the lowest hanging drug? Yeah, so just to kind of almost bring it full circle from what I was talking about earlier with the alignment is when you draw that map of yourself in the middle with all of the things that bring you joy on the outside, there's a good chance food has a spot on that wheel. And like what I found recently with one of my clients is because of her job in her current situation right now, she wants to do things like women empowerment. She wants to be really healthy and fit, but like she has a back injury and she wants to have time to have like a small group women's thing. And she wants to go to church and be able to, to serve at church. And, and then she wants to spend time with her family and then she wants food and she wants travel. But because of her job, she can't have travel. So the arrow is pointing in the opposite direction. She has no women empowerment because she doesn't have time. So the arrow is pointing in the opposite direction. She doesn't have all these different things, right? So the only two things that are that are pointing in her direction are food and family. And we all know that those things can really coexist negatively together. Mm-hmm. So what's happening is because there's no balance, there's no peace in her alignment, you would think that people just logically, if you see this on a piece of paper, she needs to lean more into travel. She needs to lean more into women empowerment. She needs to lean more into these things that are causing her imbalance because she has enough food and family. But food and family are her lowest hanging fruits. She has access to them on a daily basis. You know, to travel, it takes a lot to have to book a flight, to go do these different things. Um, to women empowerment, she's got to organize and put these things together. So she's going to lean really heavy on the things that are easiest access. And you're going to, we're going to have a tendency to overindulge in them. So that's why food becomes very easy to overindulge in. It's, it's actually like when I, when people tell me like, I have an eating disorder, or I have a problem with food. Like, no, you have a problem with alignment and balance. That's it. Cause Food is just one of many things that brings people joy. And maybe it's heavier than other things, but it's just the thing we have the most easy access to, like everybody, mm. you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Will you go into your schedule? So be- your schedule, like your work schedule, doesn't start until 10 a.m., is that correct? Totally. So why? So like, I'm a huge yeah. fan of this, but why? <laughs> um, I'm really... I would say I'm really sensitive to other people's energy, but actually I think everybody is really sensitive. So even like with the gym, if I wake up in the morning and I don't have time to set an intention for people want to call this woo woo, 
you can call it whatever you want to. If you don't have any idea what your day is supposed to look like, you are at the mercy of others. That's the truth. Because how are you supposed to keep your focus on something, right? If I wake up in the day and my goal is to serve my team at the highest level, make sure everyone is taken care of, right? But all of a sudden, somebody comes at me sideways and I feel like I know that I need to serve, but I haven't set an alignment and in in an intention for serving. So now I'm serving someone that's not on my team. And at the end of the day, no matter what I did, I'm not going to feel like I was successful. And over time, the accumulation of misalignment starts to bog up. And then you find people that are really busy and it never feels like enough. And then anxiety, you know, anxiety is a, is an incredibly, it's, it's hard topic to talk about for sure. Cause, and I've suffered from it for such a long time. So I, I feel like I'm, I can talk about it a little bit, but I also, I also want to be sensitive to other people that have like high levels of anxiety. But really, the more misalignment that you have, the more that you fight that, the more that these things are going to accumulate and build up over time. And eventually, it just gets too much because you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. You're doing the things you think other people want you to do. And that could not be, that's like the definition of misalignment. So yeah, my morning routine is really about avoiding that. Uh, In the morning, like not checking my emails. And I'll be honest, I don't nail it every day. Like I don't. There are days as a millennial, I wake up and I'm just like, Ooh, I want to see what's going on on Instagram. Yep. And every time I do it, I regret it <laughs> every time. Right. Because you get on and you're literally at the mercy of other people's energy. Somebody could post something that is so minuscule, but it triggers you and it could trigger a part of you that you're not even aware of. And now that is how you set your intention because an intention is going to get set with or without your permission. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really dangerous for me because I have a lot of people relying on me. Like I have some really high level clients. I have, you know, my partner that I'm building, you know, all of this stuff with, I bring in the, you know, a good majority of what our company has as far as revenue goes and, um, making sure that our home life is good so that we don't come home to just an absolute shit show when things are moving and scaling in business and in chaos, making sure that my team, those are people, right? Little human beings that that are responsible for other human beings and other energy and they're sensitive and they don't know how to set intentions and other people control their intentions. And it's like, if you really understood the scale of the impact that you have on a daily basis with just the energies around you, you would understand how important it is to set an intention. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I don't always nail it. And when I don't, everyone around me suffers. That's so interesting. So I have a, like, yeah, I don't, I have a morning routine and I don't nail it every single time. Like it, it's, you know, it's malleable, it's flexible. But, it should be. Yeah, it should be right. Because then if I don't do it, I get more anxiety <laughs> from not doing it. Um, so what is like your, if you were to nail your morning routine, what does it look like? Oh, if I were to nail it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. If I were to nail my morning routine, it would be three hours long. I would wake up in the morning. I would walk downstairs. I would drink my morning cocktail of like lemon juice and salt water that I get from own the day, which is Aubrey Marcus's book, which is phenomenal, especially for people who don't have children. Cause you yeah. can do everything in it. <laughs> yeah. If you guys don't know Aubrey Marcus, just look him up. Yeah. He's, he's, he's great. Um, and I have a lot, a lot of things I've gotten from him. So I drink water first thing in the morning. It's the first thing that touches my stomach. And then I do a slight movement. I want to get sunlight. That, that should be like for sure 20 minutes of sunlight. 
in Utah specifically, I don't have to tell you this, even when there is sunlight, sometimes there's inversions. And like, I haven't seen the sun in months at this point. Today will be, you know, today and yesterday will be my first days to really get out and enjoy it. Yeah. But if I were to, in an ideal place, if I was living in Bali around and I would wake up in the morning, I would drink my morning cocktail, I would get 20 minutes of sunlight and maybe do movement at the same time, maybe like, you know, marry those two things together. In movement, I would just do whatever I felt like doing. Like, I would not judge myself based on my yoga certification on things that, like, that's not really a yoga posture. I don't care. I'm just going to move however feels good on my body. You know, it's kind of like a dance. Sometimes, yeah, so that's what I would do first. And then after that, I would probably make myself tea and some form of a breakfast unless I was fasting. Um, and then I would probably go to the gym after I've kind of gotten my wits about me, set an intention to protect myself when I'm at the gym. I would get some really heavy movement in because that's really important for me and I don't get it in late in the day. And then I would come home. I would take a cold shower every morning, every day. I will never let go of this one ritual because it grounds me. I'm not saying it's for everyone, but it grounds me and it's what's responsible for increasing my stress response. So I actually have a greater stress response at this point in my life because of what I've done with cold showers and cold soaking or cold plunges. And I've never found anything that works as good as that. So I stick with that. Then I would come downstairs and I would probably journal because after my cold shower, I would feel very much at peace. I would be in parasympathetic. I would be feeling the way that I would feel if I wasn't triggered in any way, if my energy was at a very low level. I haven't been on social media at this time. And I would just journal. And if people don't understand the impact of journaling, we don't really have, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast. But I would say a really great source and somebody who's a great contact to get into journaling. His name is Eric Godsey. He does cognitive and evolutionary psychologist. He's uh, trained in the Jungian. So uh, lots of different concepts with journaling. And he actually has a really cool journaling course that's, I think it's like 40 bucks. And you just have it forever. It's so oh, awesome. Sweet. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I'd probably give you like a code for it or something too if people want to do that. Um, but yeah, I would journal and maybe meditate. They're one and the same sometimes. And then I would finish off my day. I would think to myself, what do I want to do? Sometimes after my meditations, I will, if I, if a song is like ending my meditation and it just happens to be upbeat, I'll get up and I'll dance. And if I'm by myself, if my partner's home, I probably won't do this, you know, because I will be looking to feel no judgment, no any of that stuff. And if he's here, I'm going to want to dance in a way that he <laughs> thinks is, is attractive. Uh -huh. and that really kind of ruins the whole point. So I do dance quite a bit and and then I would finish off my day asking myself, what do I need in this next 10, 20, 30 minutes to that's aligned with the intention that I set? So if I have like big meetings that day and I think to myself, like, I really want to present myself maybe in a way that is that is grander than normal. Like maybe I'm going to spend that 30 minutes actually brushing and doing my hair. It most of the time that's not my option, but that's an option that's always on the table. Maybe I'll spend it on like a more grandiose breakfast you know sometimes i'll make like pancakes and waffles sometimes it's like i'm gonna pour into my partner sometimes i'll walk upstairs he's still asleep i'll put some essential oils on him like mm. you know i'll massage his back while he's waking up like what a wonderful way to wake up right what a wonderful day way to start your day and then maybe i'll make him breakfast uh, maybe i spend that extra 30 minutes at the gym maybe i reverse my whole routine so my perfect day is actually not a structure as much as it is all these pillars getting them in and really feeling and having more 
being more inside myself and understanding what do I really need in this moment? Not what would I like to do if I was perfect because mm. I'm perfect. I am malleable. I need to be able to move and float in a way that serves me in the energetic space that I'm at right this second. And so I would say, these are all the things I want to do. What order do I want to do them? I love that. I think that last question is really important. So what can I do in the next 10, 30 minutes that you need in that moment? Is that how you put it? Yeah, that is aligned with my intention for the day. Yeah, you're big on alignment, correct? Big, yeah. Big on alignment. So if I was going to get a tattoo today, that's what it would say. <laughs> um, so alignment. And there's probably not one thing to do to get aligned, but what's one, where do you start? If someone feels misaligned and it's, I mean, and there's different alignments, right? And there's different facets. So mm -hmm. do we, do we start with the circle? Is that where we start? Yeah. And the circle can be anything. Like I would say the easiest one to do would be to look up Tony Robbins, six human needs. And I, off the top of my head, it's like significance, certainty, uncertainty, human connection, growth. What's the other one? Do you know? No, but There's one I, more. I finished his book a couple months ago. I can't remember. Okay. So I would start with the circle of all of those things. And each one you can really um, dot and, and write down, you know, itemize. Like what is it inside of significance that's important to you? Like significance at work, significance with your social circle, significance with you know, whatever it is for you. Um, certainty being that like, I'm certain that this is where I can come home to every day, you know, regardless of the environment, like this, this space is where I can come home to. I'm certain that I want to be in Utah. I'm certain that I have a job. I'm certain of all of those things. Mm. Uncertainty is I don't know what I'll be in alignment with tomorrow. That's the truth. I might wake up tomorrow and things be very different for me. And that should be exciting. Yeah, unless, we need both. Unless all of your certainty has now moved into the uncertainty category. If all of a sudden you're going through a breakup and it pushes over and now everything in your life is uncertain, not only your alignment, but like your home life and your relationships, that's probably not a good time to be trying to like change things. You know what I mean? Like alignment needs to be what's going on in your environment too. It's not just like your hopes and your desires. It's mm -hmm. so many, so many things. So that's why alignment would be hard to... I, you know, I need to write a whole book or I'm sure there maybe are books out there that I just haven't read. I've just done all my work in the field, like in my life every day. But the first thing would be to draw a circle, find out like, what are your basic six needs? If you don't even know if those six needs are being fulfilled, that's a great start. Figure out which one of them you have understanding of, which ones you're lacking. Um, and then, and then just go from there. Like if you're lacking personal growth, but everything else is great. You have lots of human connection with your family and your friends and you feel significant at work. And, um, you know, you have certainty in, of your environment and you have uncertainty because you like to go on adventures on the weekends, but personal growth is really lacking. That would be the very first place you want to start with trying to find alignment. You want to find balance in all aspects of your life. That is kind of the key in the beginning. And then once you've got that down and you understand how to manipulate and move these basic needs around. So it's like if in one season you have a lot of human connection and that's enough for you to have more uncertainty and you're okay with that and things can be unbalanced and you're aware of why you feel the feelings of inadequacy that you feel, right? Because if you don't even know why those feelings are coming up, you're going to try to attack them, but you don't have any data to support why that feeling is coming up to begin with. 
So you're probably going to make decisions based on the emotion, not, you know, the data. And then that creates more misalignment, more, more confusion. So it'd just be like reverse engineering that. It's like, why do I feel inadequate in this moment? Where, what am I lacking in these six human needs? And then what can I do to fulfill some balance? And then once you have that, then you can say, okay, I can make my own wheel just on the certainty category. Like all the things that make me feel certain. And I put them all around me in my stick figure. And I figure out which one of these are bringing me energy and which one of these are pulling away energy. And if you have like a category that's kind of bringing you energy, but also pulling away from you, like family is a great example. If you have like, you know, you like my mom with grandkids, like she's got her grandkids that are, they're awesome. And then there's like other family members that sometimes drain her. She puts a lot of service into them and they don't reciprocate it. Mm-hmm. And although people think that that's selfless, that's actually the definition of selfish because you're taking energy and putting it into a black hole. And so I tell her, draw the arrow to you and away from you. It cancels itself out because you are giving just as much energy as being taken from you. And so it doesn't even count. So it's like, it doesn't exist. And that helps people understand like where their balance is lacking. So that's, that would be my very first step for sure. That's cool. And while you were talking, it made me think of, it's funny as in, as humans, I feel like often we, we feel bad or we feel lack or at, we're in misalignment. We're like, we're misaligned and we just stay there. Like we feel bad, but how you put it as, okay, you first got to find out where you're misaligned. Then what do you need to get realigned instead of just, instead of just like accepting it. That is ownership versus judgment. Judgment would be like, Oh shit. Like I'm so misaligned. Like I'm such a shit. Like my life is not the way it wants to be. Like I have to change. It's like, okay, well you're going to spend all of your energy in, in that conversation and that with yourself. Whereas it's like, okay, logistically, this is where I'm misaligned. I, there is no emotion about it. This is what I'm lacking. And I have the power to change any of these six things. Oh, I feel lots of uncertainty. Cool. Let me plant seeds of certainty. Let me, let me figure out just small things I could do. Right. Let me call my mom right now and say, Hey, can I have tea with you every single Monday at 9am so that I just know that I have something that I can count on. And even if you cancel on me, I'm going to have tea with myself. No one can take that from me. Mm-hmm. And that becomes like, even though that's so small and insignificant, that's the thing. Like people don't need these grand significant things in order to create balance. Like it could be anything. Yeah. I was watching, do you know, Brene Brown? Mm-hmm. So I was watching uh, her Netflix special that they put out, which I think I was like, hey, good job, Netflix, actually putting out something like, of course they have documentaries, but something that I'm aligned with. And um, she was talking about don't get too focused on the extraordinary or you'll miss out on the ordinary, yeah. which I love that. I was like, oh, like, that's such a good reminder to just be like, because I often do that, like, okay, what like big thing am I going to do? What next great thing am I going to do? Instead of just like really appreciating and being in the ordinary moments that are just as beautiful. It almost goes back to like diet. Like people are all or nothing. I hear this all the time. They're like, well, you know, I have a wedding going on right now and in, in, in my, my, my husband's anniversary and all these different things. And so maybe when I get done with this, I, and I can be 100% again, then I'll get back on my, um, on my meal plan. And that concept of like you either being all in or nothing at all is the biggest problem with alignment because mm-hmm. there, there, there is no reality in that. There's no, there's not one single thing in life 
where somebody is all or nothing. If there was, you wouldn't be able to have a job and kids at the same time. You wouldn't be able to have relationships. Like it doesn't make any sense. Everything is a balancing act. And when people try to take life, which is about balance, and they try to create something that has the opposite of balance, trying to feel something, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's a key that doesn't fit the lock for sure. And you already know that. And so the idea would be, you can't be all or nothing in, in that space as well. So it's like, if you, if you think to yourself, like, oh, I can only be in alignment if I'm, if I'm always eating good and I'm always doing yeah. these and my highest self, it's like, what about the person that's in between the person that is both of those things, the person that is your lowest self and your highest self need to coexist at the same time in order to make change. That's like the, in your company, you have your lowest entry level employee and your CEO, and they're trying to do things together. There's no middle, there's no middle person. To, to, to That's a good, I like that. It would be such a disaster, you know? The boss would be like, what is wrong with you? And the employee would be like, I don't know anything. Yeah, I don't know anything. <laughs> That's funny. So, shoot, let's go back to cold showers because I think due to Wim Hof, it's gotten popular recently. Popular to at least people who are interested in personal development and this type of thing. So most likely people listening are, but if someone doesn't know about cold showers, you talked about it helps you. I don't know. What did you put about stress? Okay. So cold showers across the board, there's lots of benefits. And if you're to Google them, you're going to come up with them in a better way than I can articulate. Mm -hmm. That's not why I do them. Mine is, is strictly psychological and emotional. Um, for me, it increases my stress response. So what it does is it puts me in an environment that is extremely uncomfortable and would naturally trigger my nervous system to be like, what the F is going yes. on? But then very quickly, I remember I'm in my home, in my own shower, with my eucalyptus soap. <laughs> safe. Nice. As uncomfortable as this is, it's not life or death. And it's kind of like running sprints. Like if you go out on, this is why running sprints will always be more valuable for endurance runners than running endurance for forever. Because in order to train the muscle that needs to be expanded and needs to be able to have a higher capacity, you need to train it in short spurts. Like this is just physiology across the board. So I'm doing the same thing in my cold showers as I would be doing on the track. I'm giving myself a taste until I can't handle it anymore. And now I can, you know, I can, that, that time frame doesn't actually exist. Like I could literally sit in an ice tub for days and mm. my body, yeah, well, I mean, I've never tried it, but my body would regulate itself and I feel very comfortable. And it's, it's hard for me to actually get the like sympathetic nervous response that I used to get in the beginning, but it used to trigger my, my panic attacks when I first started doing it, which is why I thought I was so attracted to it. I was like, okay, I've been getting these panic attacks. I know they're related to my dad's death. I have absolutely no idea what triggers them, no idea how to stop them, but I get in the shower and I do cold and I have a panic attack. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. If I can create my own panic attacks and I can, instead of running from them and avoiding them, if I can dive into them and spend time in them in an environment that, that I get to control, right? It's my environment. And I don't have to worry about external things coming and making it even worse. Cause for me in a panic attack, what makes it worse is humiliation. If I'm in a panic attack and somebody comes up to me and they're like, are you okay? Like, and they start making a big deal about it. It's going to last forever. Like it's going to be, it's just going to keep going and keep going. Whereas if I'm at home, I could go through a full panic attack in like two, three minutes, you know, 150 breaths, like just move right through it. 
and hmm. I can, you know, and I don't have those in the shower anymore, but yeah, so I'm, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm turning the cold water on, my shoulders go up, like my whole body says, this is not okay, this is not safe, mm-hmm. and then I roll my shoulders down. I do some mm. nasal breathing. I remind myself that I am the commander of my life. I'm, you know, whatever words you need to say to yourself, mine are different than other people's, right? I think of myself as a warrior. And so I literally imagine myself like in battle. It's like I'm in this cold shower, like what in life could disturb me? <laughs> and, and so that's really nice. And then the other thing is, you know, sometimes like when I'm in the, so I use it for that. I use it to actually just increase my day-to-day stress response, my ability to, if somebody comes up to me and they're like, oh my gosh, like this happened. It's like, okay, it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, only that would trigger me to go into this like fight or flight mode, but I had a freezing cold shower this morning. Like I'm good. Uh, it's easier for me to be able to handle that stress. The other thing I use it for is when I'm in immense stress. Like if I'm in a season where I'm really, really anxious and I can't get out of it, I will use it to increase my, what do they call it? Like my anatomic response, um, So meaning that if I'm in a state of stress and I'm like nasal breathing and I'm like, fuck, this is not working, then I will actually take my stress up to match that. And I learned Mm -hmm. that. um, And I just started doing this. This is like a new thing. I learned it from Andrew Huberman, who is uh, he's like a neuroscientist at Stanford University. I sat in on his podcast and I've been using this and it has worked so well. So what I'll do is when I'm in this state of just rage and emotion and you know adrenaline and cortisol and ghrelin and all these things are flooding me and obviously my prefrontal cortex has no blood i'm just i'm i'm saying things and doing things and i can't control it i'll just go pop myself into the shower and i'll just breathe i do like some wim hof breath of fire bring my response up to that same level to match get myself riled up and then it's almost i almost find comfort in the fact that like i'm this stressed out and i can bring myself to this stress so ultimately i'm in control of both and then once I get there, then things start to fizzle out a little bit. That is cool. I've never heard that comparison put that way. I love that. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, Good tool. What, what you said is, reminded me of something I wanted to ask you about when you're talking to a friend and someone says, how are you? I'm not doing well. And they say, oh, you're fine. Like, you're great. Like, yeah. you're beautiful. What should that friend say instead? Like, how do you have that difficult conversation? Well, understand that people are just plagued with guilt in general. It has nothing to do with you. So when I, when I say to you, how are you doing? And you go, oh, man, like, I'm not doing very good. Like, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been underperforming at work. And I don't even know if I'm going to have a job next week. What I should be able to do objectively is just hold space for you and be like, wow, you know, in, on an empathetic level. Like, just tell me more about that. Like, just pour into me this feeling that you're feeling because you want to be heard. You want to be understood. You just want someone to absorb it. But instead, I live my life being triggered by guilt. And when you say that, it makes me feel guilty, even though it has nothing to do with me. And so I will try to mask my guilt by saying some weird things like, what do you mean? Like, you're killing it. Look how handsome mm-hmm. you are. <laughs> like, whatever. Like, you just, people say weird things all the time. And yep. I find myself doing it. And, you know, I try I try my best not to because it's just, it's just part of our humanity. Like, we're just so human. <laughs> we can't help it. Yeah, I love that. I'm definitely going to take that away of, because I'm, de- I definitely say that. Like, like, you got it, man. Like, come on, go kill it. Like, but like, and it doesn't, it's like, when you say that to someone, they're just like, okay, thank you for, yeah telling me something that I already know it has nothing to do with the way that I feel in this moment. And that's something that I've been really like 
since I got back from my fellowship, really understanding the need to hold space for people and to not allow my own weirdness and my own judgment and my own guilt create responses that people don't need. And it's, it's wild. And I've experienced the deepest level of human connection of my life in the last month because of it. Will you talk about that? Yeah. What, what part of it? Well, what does that mean? So human, the deepest part of human connection, like what have you experienced? So like <clears throat> before, I'll, I'll just speak on, you know, like my, my partner, my business partner, the person that I do business with. Mm-hmm. Before, all the things, like when he would become stressed out because he's a really high performer, right? And he, he takes the load in ways that I never will, you know? And that's his own, that's his own stuff. His childhood and all of his businesses that he's built, this construct that we build as adults and who we are, right? And what I would do is I would, he would become stressed out. And because I didn't have a way to relieve that stress, it would make me feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And so I would project my need to, to feel like I was enough onto him, which would just, again, make him feel like he had more of a load. And then when I got home from my fellowship, I just realized he's not looking for me to relieve all of the things he's feeling. He just like wants somebody to know, like I'm in the fight every day. I'm a warrior and I just want somebody to sit with me and just know like what I've put forth, you know? And so for the first time ever, I came home and I just like let him pour all the things that were going on and just, and it was crazy the layers that he was able to peel back because before I would get really triggered. He would say something like, and I just feel like I'm the only one doing things. And I'd be like, what the fuck? (laughs) I mean, it would Humanity would just consume me. And I would just think like, how could he believe that I, and it had nothing to do with me right? I would be so triggered and my guilt would just consume me to a point where I would start, I would start saying weird things like, well, yeah, I mean, other people aren't doing as much as we're doing. And, and I would, you know, I would try to find a conversation that was really a validation for me. And all he's sitting there doing is I'm just trying to be heard and understood and supported the way that I want to be supported. And now whatever he says, it doesn't matter if he says, I'm literally the only one doing the work. That has nothing to do with me because I'm doing the work too. And even if he didn't think I was doing the work, doesn't have anything to do with me, right? Like I have peace in that because I'm aligned. And regardless of what his perception is of it, and, and that's not even what he was saying, right? He's just saying like, I feel like I'm the only one that understands how important mm. this is because I'm the founder. I built it, right? And objectively, like, damn, that's a lot to carry. And I can just sit back and I can just, I can just hold space. Yeah. And hold space. I think that's so big. It's yeah. so cool. You know what we need in order for people to really attach to it is some fancy word with some science behind it that makes people feel like it'll help them be better performers, even though it will, you know? Cause yeah. Like if I heard hold space and like, what, what, what does that mean? Yeah. But yeah. you just you just explained it. Um, that is really cool. And if it's not clear, your business partner is also your romantic and life partner. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, yes. Yeah, it's heavy. <laughs> it's heavy. Me, um, we have an absolutely beautiful partnership. Like when people ask, like I never introduce him as my boyfriend because that's one. I'm you know I'm not into labels, but like through and through, he is definitely my my partner in all aspects of life. Like best friend because we've been through so much together and we've had to have 
that's what I'm talking about with human connection. The most uncomfortable conversations you can imagine. Mm. And it's really easy not to. And for, you know, over a year, we didn't. We just had the conversations that were necessary. And really? And, and, you know, now for this last year, it's like we just throw ourselves into the fire. So what, like, because I'm a huge fan and of difficult conversations. And I think Tim Ferriss is the one that says, like, your level of leadership is like a measure of how many difficult conversations you can have or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like what changed? So in the first year for you two, for human optimization and like Tommy, like just, you know, I don't know, but this sounds like you, you guys are like high performers and just invested in yourselves and intentional. That's just, it's surprising to me that in the first year you guys didn't. So what changed? Well, you can be a high performer and you can be intentional and not be aligned with your partner for sure. And, and really, you know, that's very easy and it it gets confusing with, with, with relationships in general, like whether you're business partners or whether you're romantic, it comes down to, can I tell you where you're not showing up for me and you be objective about the fact that it doesn't have anything to do with you being inadequate, but me not having my needs met. Mm -hmm. And incredible book that has literally changed my entire life and the way I communicate with other people was given to me by Kyle Kingsbury. And he's a human optimization director at Onnit, And it's called nonviolent communication. And I am a very violent communication because I'm, I'm passionate, you know, and I'm really knowledgeable. I'm really competent. I built that based on my needs from childhood, not being heard. So I built a plethora of competency. I will make sure people hear me. I will be blah, blah, blah. Right. And so Tommy and I have always been high performers since we've met, but we were not, there was no peace because both of our high performance abilities were based off of like negative alignment. So the idea of, I feel inadequate all the time and I feel like I'm not doing enough and I feel like I could possibly be doing more. That verbiage is the same thing as saying, my purpose is so great. I have so much service to give. I truly want to impact people. They're the same thing. They're the same thing. It's just, it's the energy that you feed off of. The idea that you're inadequate, you're not doing enough, that, you know, all those things. If that's the story you tell yourself, you'll literally feel that way always. And you will be, law of attraction says, finding opportunities to prove to yourself what you already believe. Mm-hmm. So it's confusing because you're not, it's like, if I, if I, and this is how my therapist used to explain it to me. If I have the need to be heard because I was not heard as a child, The law of attraction is I'm not going to go, although I'm going to go out and think I'm trying to find people that will hear me, what I'm actually doing is attracting other people that will prove to me that I do not deserve to be heard because the underlying belief is that I don't deserve to be heard. That's mind blowing. So I'll give you an example that I I gave to one of my friends and we're going to see how it plays out for her. She tells me I've been cheated on by every man I've ever been with. Literally every man? Every man, right? And the crazy thing is, is that she is the reason she's been cheated on. Not because she's not pretty enough, smart enough. She's not great in a relationship. She doesn't do all the duties that whatever she believes she's supposed to do. But because every, every layer of life, this is what it looks like. The underlying belief is that she does not deserve to be loved unconditionally because her father was unable to love her, right? That's what we've gotten to. That's just one layer. Like there's it's so much deeper than that. But because that's the underlying belief, what she's what she thinks she's consciously doing is she's trying to find people that will prove that wrong. But 
Unfortunately, that's not what she's doing. What she's doing is she is finding people to prove the belief that she already has on higher levels. So she will search the ends of the earth if she stays in this perception in order to prove that the best people on the planet will still do the same thing to her. So what she'll do is she'll date a man, he'll cheat on her, and then she'll be like, I'll never date another man like that. And she'll go out and she'll find a, a more successful man, a, a, a man that can articulate better, a man that's more charming, that's, that, you know, whatever. He's, he's better on whatever, whatever scales that she's created in order to measure that. And then he'll cheat on her. And she's attracting the energy of a cheater. It's not even that these men necessarily are cheaters. It's that the energy that you come into a relationship with, the intention, like her purpose in life is so bold and big, but she's chosen to direct energy into one small part of it, which is to prove this. So people are, are magic. Like they absolutely are so powerful. And you talk about manifestation. She doesn't have a clear intention and clear alignment, which means that all the power that's behind her, all the purpose and the, the things that she's capable of doing are being directed at her manifesting and manipulating scenarios. And so some of these men, that's part of their trauma. They're going to get this. This will be the first time they ever cheat and they won't even know why they did it because she's that powerful. Hmm. And people don't understand that the power that they have, like I definitely have this power on people. I have my whole life and, and recognizing like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. So for her, she'll find this man and you know, the next man, if she doesn't, she's aware of this now we've talked about it, but if she doesn't, she doesn't really pivot in this moment, what will happen is she will find a man based on all this energy that she's created now. That's really good. He'll be attracted to it, but she will manipulate the energy of the relationship and she will find a way to cause him to cheat. That is mind blowing. Yeah. That example is wild. It is wild. I really do believe people are magic. And it's, yeah, it is a bit woo-woo, but it's, it's freaking true. So yeah. <laughs> that is, and what you said reminded me about how it's not about us. Uh, you said about the relationships. Just, it's not that you're doing a bad job. It's just that my needs aren't being met in some way. And I love that. It's like, it's not about you. It's, it's not just... about you. When I speak, it is not about you. You are a catalyst. If I sit here and I say to you, you know, I don't, I don't really like this podcast. Like other podcasts that I did, like I liked them better because of this, this, and this, what I'm, which is not what I feel by the way, <laughs> objective. Like this is such a yeah. beautiful experience for me because I'm not comparing it to anything. I don't need that. Right. But if I felt inadequate in my life and I'm hoping that you have the tools to make me feel adequate and then you don't ask me the right question that I planned on you asking me in order to prove my competency, now I feel like you've done me a disservice. And so you'll find people that are like over planners. This is what they're looking for. They're like, I need the structure. If you ever have somebody on your podcast, it's like they need the exact structure of everything that's going to happen. You could just ask them, you know, what is it that they're worried about missing? And, and a lot of times it'll be they have a they have a trajectory of how they like to prove. And for me, that's not what I'm trying to do. I have a trajectory of how I can be at peace, which is welcoming this new connection with you. Yeah. What space you're in that you feel like inner, you want to feed into energetically with your listeners. And do I have knowledge for you? Maybe. At least I have different perceptions, right? That's so cool. I'm going to, I'm excited to listen back to this because there's definitely some things I need to meditate on. Um, 
Me too. Because <laughs> it, it's funny because we did plan on t- talking about one thing that we haven't talked about, right? And it's, yeah. I love that you said that. But before we get to that one thing, because I do want to ask about it still, is um, a Tony Robbins thing you remind me of. Yeah. Suffering comes from when we obsess about ourselves. Mm. So just a quick little it note there. Works, you know? When you obs- when in obsesses, you know, has a negative connotation again, verbiage is everything for people. Um, but if you obsess about service, like other people, it's not N-word at all. But there's people could take that wrong. It's like if you obsess about other people and how to serve other people, then you're gonna be miserable either way. The truth is, is that you obsessing is what's causing misery. <laughs> uh. But the more that you look at I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough. That is the same thing as saying, what can I do for others? What can I do for others? What can I do for others? Like, how can I serve? What is my purpose? Like, what am I capable of? What am I capable of? They're the exact same question. Again, it just comes down to which energy do you feed into? The, the energy of, like, fear or the energy of, like, serve? And I choose serve, which is why my life is so abundant. But six, you know, like, not even, no. Like, six months ago, I was still suffering from half and half. Like I was dipped half into the service pool. I was doing some really cool things and I was talking the talk, but like I would get in bed and I'd just be like, I'm fucking terrified of life. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, funny. And now I don't feel that way. Um, so it's really cool. And, but then, you know, two years ago, I was like, all I did was live in fear. Hmm. What people would, would see, you know, and it's like, I don't, people aren't seeing anything because they're terrified under their covers too. That's a perfect segue to what we wanted to, a theme that we wanted to mention is unshakable peace. Mm-hmm. So where does that stem from? How, where did that phrase get inspired from? Definitely the fit for service fellowship. I came back with more peace than I'd ever experienced in my life. Uh, Aubrey has this really cool saying and I'm going to butcher it cause I don't know it, mm-hmm. but it's like a Hawaiian saying it's like a Hoko Ono or something. And it, and it translates to today is a good day to die. And he always says it in his posts and in his podcast and and I was always like, what a weird thing to say. Like, like you have fun dying. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> but my flight home from Fit for Service Fellowship, I thought to myself, today is a good day to die. I felt so at peace. And like, like life could be better, sure. But in this moment, I'm not comparing it to anything. I love that. So today is a good day to die. And by that meaning, it's because you're at peace. You're not comparing. You're not judging. You appreciate right now, this moment. So present. Like not I'm living in the past, in the future. So present. Yes. On that flight. And I, I, just clenched. and I couldn't even define the tears. And I wasn't even trying to judge them. I was just like sitting next to this random guy. And I'm sure he was like, what's going on? I had tears running down my face. And I, and I didn't know if I felt like happy or sad. And I honestly didn't care. I wasn't trying to label anything in my life. I was just like, it was like feelings from my body were just al- allowing, like they were just manifesting into physical motion, you know? And I was just sitting there in it. And I was just thinking to myself, like, I am at the center of my being. I am at the center of my presence, of my purpose, of everything in life. And from this point on, I will choose which direction I move and where I feed into. Mm-hmm. And so will I be able to find that feeling all the time? No, definitely not. Um, 
but I will search to be more, you know, that's my alignment. Like that was the feeling of in that moment, I was more aligned than I've ever been. And I know exactly what that feeling felt like. And so every action that I take, my question will be like, does this move me closer or further away from that exact feeling that I felt? And wow. it's confusing, but that is, you know, that is my unshakable piece. So when I came home, conversations in my relationship completely changed because I was no longer worried about being triggered because I was no longer worried about being validated. Like I didn't need validation. I needed, I just needed to be at peace. And if in that moment being at peace meant, I'd like to say something to you and really I don't have any intention to hear anything back from it. You know, the only thing that I'd like in this moment is for you to listen to me and whether or not you're actually listening is irrelevant. But if you speak, I'm worried that it might trigger me. So I'm just going to ask you, please don't say anything after I say this to you, you know? And like my, there was a couple of times where my partner's like, what is going on? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Right. And integration is really important because you know, that's why I'm starting to get more into the integration space because all these things that people read on podcasts and here it's like yeah they want to do it and they do it for a couple weeks but they cannot integrate it into their real life so and true. i do a great job of doing that every that's why that's why my life has grown so much is everything i do i create the integration and i've made enough mistakes in it that i i, I could at least write a rule book of what not to do um and so you know part of it i'm just going i'm going through some of it right now with with coming back from the fellowship you know i've been talking about it a lot i've talked about it on a lot, another podcast too it's still impacting me in a massive way. And I would say it's not, it's not just the fit. It's not just this fellowship for me, like just to take it because I don't want people to feel like, Oh man, like, well, I can't have that or, or whatever, you know, this might not be for you. It was the sense of community and alignment and showing up to a place where people knew all of my dirty details, because for three months we've been telling each other about our challenges and being very vulnerable. And when I showed I didn't even have the opportunity to prove anything because people literally knew. They knew what my bank account looked like. They yeah. knew what my morning routine looked like. They knew the challenges that I was unable to get to and the excuses that I was using not to get to them. They knew it all. And because of that, I just, I felt so at peace not having to prove my peace. It was just like, oh, you guys can add to my peace that might be a little bit lower right now, but I don't have to create a persona of peace. That was really important what you just said. You were at peace because you did not have to prove your peace. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think this can be mistaken sometimes for detach, detachment. I think detachment can be a good thing. It depends, how you, again, how you describe it. Um, but like surrendering and trusting the unknown, trusting the uncertainty, I think sometimes it's like, well, aren't you gonna try? Aren't you gonna, like, don't you wanna have goals? Like, how do you respond to that of like, people feel again, anxious if it's like, almost like not trying. It's a weird, I don't even know how to describe it. Does yeah, it make sense when I'm trying to say it? It's like, if you don't have goals, then you're not doing anything. And if you have goals, then you're doing it. Again, that's, that comes from the judgment of like, having goals is great. That's an opinion. Uh, that really doesn't hold any, any data for me at all. It's actually the idea of in this moment, if the goal is to chill out on being so goal driven because it's become so imbalanced that I'm constantly chasing goals and I'm leaning heavy into that space because it actually makes me feel more comfortable in a weird way. Like if I'm so goal oriented that I don't take time for myself to sort out the things I've compartmentalized, I'm imbalanced. 
And it doesn't matter if I have all the goals in the world, I'm imbalanced. And you cannot justify imbalance. So it gets, you know, this is where people don't want to look because they use competency and intelligence and rewards and all these, these names and labels as a way to mask imbalance. Yeah, that phrase, today is a good day to die. I'm going to remember that one just because it's like, I'm so present and I'm enjoying this moment so much. Life is so dope. I've given it my all. I trust it. I'm here. I love that. That's super cool. So I do a segment in the show that's called Scroll My Soul. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I'm glad you ooed. Sounds. Um, and what this means is essentially from conversations like this one, from reading, from podcasts, meditating, I have these thoughts that I resonate with. So I write them down. I keep a big list in my phone. And so I randomly scroll through. I stop and I pick one for you. And I believe it's meant for this conversation. And I want to hear your thoughts on it. Just your feelings, opinions, how you resonate, whatever comes up. Cool? Hit me. All right. So the phrase that I have for you is, the true voyage of discovery is not about going to new places, but it is about looking with new eyes. So the true voyage of discovery is not about going to new places, but it, it is about looking with new eyes. That's like the definition of peace right there. Mm. I love that. The definition of peace. I like It's That's so exciting. I mean, that couldn't be more true for me, especially in business. And like, even with that, like, I need to remind myself of that daily because of my tendency to be ambitious and, you know, whatever reasons I figured out why I am that way. If I'm constantly, it's like, imagine, imagine all the things that you want in life, right? So for some people, they'd like want to compare themselves to, you know, superstars like Kylie Jenner. I'll give this really great analogy that'll make you laugh. The difference between like being focused on the how you get somewhere is like Kim Kardashian's sex tape. Everyone knew who she was the very next day. Like she was very, very, very famous, you know? She didn't get to really choose why, she didn't get to pour into it, she didn't get to do the work. So when she got there, the level of judgment and like weirdness that she felt, or like, why do people like me? Well, <laughs> there's nothing, I mean, you could assume some reasons, but there's also probably other ones. There could have been reasons like girls liked her because they were like, wow, something really traumatic like that happened to me and I felt my vulnerability was exposed, but she would never even be able to connect with that person because she's so on guard with the fact that like, I got here and I got here without my own, without setting intentions and getting to choose the path. Like the path is the path. People will end up where they are supposed to be regardless. But you actually get to choose your pain and you get to choose your story. And that to me is what brings me peace. Because if you were just to tell me tomorrow, I would be running, you know, a multi-million dollar company and I would be speaking on stage and I would be teaching all of these things. And I just woke up tomorrow and that's who I was. And I didn't know why or how I got there. I would not feel at peace. Because I would be competing against things that I don't even understand. And I would have to, I would be like, oh, well, I don't get to choose it's almost like getting a job title that, and you're filling someone else's shoes. That's exactly what it's like. I would be filling my own shoes, but I, I'm a different person now than I was a couple months ago. So the idea of like my eyes constantly changing along the path 
is, is for myself. It's like, okay, well, this doesn't bring me peace anymore. So I get to choose and change the way that I see this whole journey and things that I was holding on to so tightly because I thought that, that was going to bring me some level of success or some, some level of purpose. It's kind of changing. And I get to be the one ultimately that decides like whether I want to keep those pieces of myself. And so over the course, when I get to wherever I'm going to be, I'm not going to worry about what I say, what I do, what I want to do, because I fought to get there. And I know everything that I put into it. And I have a level of peace knowing that whether or not people know my journey, I know my journey so well. And, and I'm almost have created like my own fan base with myself. Like I don't need any validation from anyone else because mm. I'm here cheering myself on going, holy shit, <laughs> you are so dope. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's all I need. Like when it's, it's a good day to die when I've got a team of myself. <laughs> that's so funny. I was thinking that quote the, the entire time. I was about to say it, but then you said it. Um, that's awesome. I love that answer. Okay. So before we end, where's the best place to connect with you? I'm really preferred, preferred place. Preferred place would be for, for these listeners would be on Instagram. I'm really trying to show up for people on Instagram. I have a major detachment from social media because I don't feel the level of human connection that I feel in these conversations. I'm the same way. Let me just, let me use you as accountability publicly <laughs> okay. and I'll manifest a little bit. I'm going to be using things like podcasts in order to create content to put into my social media to attract a community of people that need this stuff so that I can pour them back into podcasts. <laughs> Boom. That's awesome. Okay. Accountability. And so my, my Instagram handle is just my name, Adrian Ellison and spelled the boy way. So A-D-R-I-A-N Ellison, E-L-L-I-S-O-N. Okay, cool. And I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Do you have anything else for the peeps out there? Any other thoughts or feelings, knowledge to depart? No, I would say if listening to something like this brings you anxiety because it makes you feel like you're not doing enough, you miss the whole point and listen to it again. I love that. Dang. Okay. Well, we need to end it right there then so you can rewind <laughs> and go and go listen again. Okay. Adrian, thank you. That was a beautiful conversation. Yeah. Well, um, really? Thank you. And today's a good day to die. Today's a good day to die. Okay. You're the bomb. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with my girl, Adrian. I loved listening back to it. I got so many tidbits of information that I wrote back down that I didn't catch during our first conversation. And you heard it during the interview that this week's challenge, you heard about what it's about to be, is it's going to be cold plunges or cold showers. So I would love it if you took a cold shower every single day or if you had access to like a cold pool or cold lake or something like that or river but obviously not all of us have that so the easiest thing that we can get to is a shower and I think the first thing you should do is take your normal shower and then at the end turn it to cold for 30 seconds make sure the water gets all over your body put it on your face put it on your chest because um, head and chest are the best places for it but really we want to really expose ourselves to our to the cold, and it'll be cool to see. I really want to hear if it increases your like stress response, because that's Adrian's experience, and that's also my experience of what cold showers can do. And I'm excited to show you my content. It's going to be pretty funny, um, and entertaining, and helpful all at the same time. 
So this week's challenge is inspired by Wim Hof and the Wim Hof Method. So take cold showers, expose yourself to cold, let's increase our stress response and really know that life is okay. We can handle anything we go through. And there are a few ways you can report back once you complete this challenge. You can post on Facebook or Instagram and use hashtag GoLinkChallenge, tag us in your stories, or use the GoLink hotline. The hotline is designed for those who, re- who want to remain anonymous or they don't have social media, but still desire a form of accountability. To use the hotline, call 385-626-0525 and follow the instructions. Follow us at Golink Group. My name is Ben. I love you. And this is The Golink Show.